Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Um, Tom, let's. You want to get into our interview with uh, Gregory? Yes, this is really, yes. really exciting. Uh, Gregory Gorday, the the hometown chef of Portland, season eighteen uh, and season seventeen and twelve uh, contestant. Here's Gregory Gorday. Kevin, we have Chef Gregory Gorday on the line. He is the author of Everyone's Table Cookbook, now out in stores or at least on Amazon. Over, I think, like 200 recipes in that book. We're going to talk to him about that. He's also the chef and owner of, of, and dishwasher, I should add, of Khan Restaurant in Portland. Um, And the reason why we he's he's just melted our hearts here at Pack Your Knives. He is a season 17 all-star chef testant and the season 12 runner-up on Top Chef. I have eaten at your restaurant, at your former digs at Departure. My friends got married in Portland. Uh, shout out to she- uh, Coop and Reese. And they said, on our rehearsal dinner, we were going nowhere else than to Chef Gregory's place. So um, I've eaten your food. It's fantastic. And Kevin, um, we have so much to talk to you about, about Gregory. How excited are you? This is fantastic. Um, I mean, Gregory, let me ask you a question. And obviously it's been a while since the recording, but like 
that first episode being on the other side of the judges table you you probably even asked this i'm just curious that was kind of a mind screw um yeah i mean basically it's i mean the whole thing is like nerve-wracking and like to be on the other side for the first time is very very odd and like i must admit it took me like some time to chill out because for me that setting all i know is like stress anxiety <laughs> like you know <laughs> fighting for your life you know it's like you walk to the top chef kitchen and every time you've ever done it you know you're like you're in like fight mode you know and like you're trying to defend yourself and trying to like listen to padma and like just like try and make really quick decisions so it felt good to not have that stress and anxiety but it was very very different i must admit I mean, it's it's great, you know. It was it was very nice, you know. It's it's a lot shorter of a day, <laughs> but did, when when they reached out to you to to be a part of this season, uh, what did you know that you were going to be there at like as a judge for several episodes, or like did they just say, hey, we just we just want you to be a part of this season? I, honestly, I I don't quite recall, but yeah, I mean, I think they told us. Yeah, I'm trying like I'm getting like all stars confused with this season, like the last season. Um, cause every time they call you, like it takes forever. They're like, we might consider you for this. We might do this. And then you're like, you're like so excited and you totally want to do it. But then like, you know how production goes and it takes forever. Gregory, but- everything in television <laughs> development in Hollywood <laughs> here in Los Angeles takes yeah. forever. These people, it takes them <laughs> six weeks to read. I mean, it's, it's, that is, that is par for the course. Yeah. But I mean, of course, anytime anyone from Top Chef calls, I immediately say yes, because I love Top Chef and it's been so fun and it's changed my life. And, you know, so many people love the show. So I'm just happy to be part of it. But yeah, as soon as they said they're like considering having us be back to judge, I was absolutely 100% all about it. It's your city. Yeah. Yeah. Plus it was in Portland. And I think we were actually trying to get it here for a couple of years. Um and, you know, there are lots of meetings and, you know, it just never worked out. You know, I think we were working on it last year um, and it just didn't work out. And, you know, uh, it was disappointing, but of all the years for it to happen, it was the year of the pandemic. And, you know, a lot of things happened in Portland while we were shooting. And, you know, it was just a very, very historic year for our country. And Portland was right front and center of that. Um, but it happened and it's an amazing season. I know it is. And you know, the, the, the cast of chefs is absolutely fantastic. Um, the, the all-stars and alumni that, you know, that I was able to, to be there with, you know, or some dear, dear friends of mine. And we had a great time and I think it's going to be a really fantastic, tremendous season for everyone. Yeah. I mean, if you were advising a young chef who, who just asked you, look, do I want to do this? I have a chance to be a contestant. Like, what are the best reasons to do it if you're, let's say, a 31-year-old chef in a market like Portland? Sure. I mean, for me, you know, I mean, Top Chef is such a part of just American television and such a part of the, you know, like there's so many facets to the culinary world. And, you know, television is obviously a, a part, it's a direction you can go in. And, you know, my Top Chef journey, I auditioned for Top Chef years and years and years ago. Like, you know, I was you know, friends with Leanne when she was on season one, you know, so, um, you know, I, I auditioned for like maybe like season three or four or something and like maybe like 
somewhere in there, like season seven or eight or something. Whoa. So um, you, you, uh, you auditioned for like four or five years before you landed on season 12? Oh, yeah. No, like more than that. More than that. Because I was the first season I was on season 12, maybe like even 10 years. You know, no. I mean, Top Show's been around for 18 years, you know. So um, I've been cooking for what, like 22, 23 years. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I didn't get on, you know, a couple of times and the second time I didn't even make callbacks, but the first time I didn't even make callbacks, the second time I made it to LA and I got to meet all the execs, um, and I didn't get cast. So I think I made it onto like maybe like the final 50 or something. Um, and then the last time they kind of found me and like, like three people asked me to do it from their side. And I was like, it's like really stressful to apply. It's so much work, you know, um, I'm like happy I'm working. I don't think I want to do this. And by the time the third person reached out, I was like, okay, yes, I'll do it. And, you know, I'm so happy I did because, you know, I did well in Boston. Um, but I definitely think it's, it's a question of whether or not you think you're ready because thinking that you're ready and being ready is two different things. And, you know, I did better my first season than I did my second season, you know, and, and I was even, I knew more about food by my second season, you know? So, um, I think it all depends on if you actually think you're ready and if you're actually ready or not. Um, but I, I, I encourage it. If you're a fighter, if, if you like a challenge, if you like, you know, high pressure situations, if you like high risk, high reward scenarios, um, I definitely think top shows is the way to go because it, it, 100% 100% pushes you as a show. I do want to ask you about the last season because as a as a, as a man who had back surgery a year and a half ago, like <laughs> I sort of, I mean, hey, no disrespect, I mean, uh, like Melissa is a god, but I kind of put a little asterisk next to your performance last year yeah. because like, I'm sorry, like I, I could, like as someone who has suffered that stuff i could see it in the performance like you were um you were a broken man because there's nothing worse yeah, than back it shit, was pretty bad i mean we actually yeah we actually had like a few days off between la and getting to italy and literally i was you know i was at home making pasta like trying to like do all this stuff learning about italian ingredients because i've never worked with italian food and i was like i'm just gonna go for it we have to and i was literally i literally bent down to pick up my luggage you know, it was like one in the morning, you know, I had to leave like within like a couple hours to get to the airport for like my 21 hour trip to Italy, <laughs> you know? Um, and I bent down and like, I had the biggest back spasm I've yeah. ever had in my life. And I lived by myself. So I just like got my shit together. I like <laughs> just made it to the airport. Um, I flew to Philly, I flew to Europe. And then there's like a five hour drive to where we're staying in Italy. You should have won top chef just for that. The fact that you had a back spasm, you threw your back out before a flight from (laughs) from Portland to Philly, then to Europe. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And, um, we had a couple days off in Italy and I was like, okay, I, I should feel better. And I started to feel better. And like literally in the first quick fire, um, that we were had in Italy, I had a huge back spasm right in the middle of the quick fire, which the camera didn't catch, but they caught the audio of it. Um, and that was it. That was, that was, you know, I'm not going to say like I went down because of my back, but it didn't help. You know, it did not help me make some smart decisions. And I think overall I, I chose a dish I did. I didn't think it out as much as I did because I knew I could finish it in time in the situation that I was in physically. But, you know, if I had, a little bit of a better mindset on me around that time, I hopefully would have made a better, a smarter decision in terms of what dish to make to feature the white truffle. 
I mean, that seemed like you were just in survival mode. Like I'm going to put the the wild yeah. boar stew because I know I can make wild boar stew. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. It's so fascinating to me that you were uh, – you tried out so many times for, for Top Chef and then when you got there, it seemed like you were a natural. Like you were just – you were born for this competition that you were so – I mean, I think in your – in season 12, you'd won five elimination challenges and five quick fires, which is absurd. And then – I drafted you. We do a draft every year. Uh, we watch the first episode and then we we draft the contestants. Yeah, yeah, and we do yeah, the fantasy yeah. scoring. Um, I drafted you number one overall, and you were kicking ass throughout the competition. I was like, "There's no way, Chef. Barring injury, we do this all the time in NBA. Barring injury, the <laughs> Lakers are not going to lose the title. And of course, LeBron James and Anthony Davis get hurt, and then it's like whatever. That, yeah. That's the same thing that happened with you, which, which was like you were just steamrolling. Um, in the competition and you must have been feeling like really confident going into uh, Italy. Well, mm, going into Italy, you know, I don't know. I mean, I have not it's, as an, it's an excuse, but I, I think the one thing I learned every, every season of top chef is like actually how much I don't know about food. And like that, I learned that really clearly the first time, because once you're there, you know, you're just there with yourself. Like you don't have the internet, you don't have your recipe cards, you don't have cookbooks. You don't have, you know, like teammates to bounce ideas off. It's just like literally you and like whatever's in your head. So to kind of come up with something creative and and and, and new and fun and interesting and delicious every challenge and that really goes in line with what the challenge guidelines are, it's pretty challenging. So, you know, I always kind of like every time I left Top Chef, I just went on like this culinary mission. And I just wanted to learn more and more about food. And, you know, when they said Italy... Um, I was just like, uh, you know, the thing is like, I'm actually gluten-free and dairy-free. <laughs> so like, so like, Jesus not that like all of Italy is based on gluten and dairy, but no, no, all of Italy it is, is based on gluten and dairy. <laughs> I mean, some beautiful, like, so like I was meats, like, yes. you know, so I had to like, when I was doing my research, like I was like trying to find like the Italian food, you know, that wasn't based off pasta and you know, like kind of like there's like a whole side of Italian cooking that's, you know, based on, you know, like slow cooked meats and like beautiful vegetables. And I was trying to dig into that and kind of tie that into what I do, you know. So I knew Italy was going to be a challenge, um, you know, not to put any excuses on anything, but I knew it was going to be a challenge for me, you know, um, because it is a very specific cuisine. Um, and, but I was going to go, I was going to, I was going to do my best. I, you know, I was going to make pasta. I was going to do all these things if I had the opportunity to, unfortunately I didn't. Um, want to talk about Portland food, want to talk about Haitian food, but tell us where, um, I mean, it's been an awful year in, in the restaurant world, but where mm-hmm. is, so where are you with Khan? Um, what is the status? Mm-hmm. Um, is I, I saw the yurts. I love yurts. I froze my ass <laughs> off in yurts in Mongolia for three weeks once. Um, oh, wow. yeah. So, so yeah, tell us uh, Tell us about like where yeah, are you with Khan? Yeah, so you know, Khan was you know born on Top Chef. Uh, yeah, it's a little Top Chef baby, yeah. <laughs> Top Chef Restaurant Worth baby, um, which is cool. But I actually had that concept in mind um, for quite a few years. Uh, I I had actually had a business plan. You know, I was actually on my way out of leaving my old post um, at my former restaurant to kind of start working on Khan. So like. I had done multiple pop-ups based off of Khan, multiple dinners all around the country based off of Khan. So when, you know, when the challenge before Restaurant Wars came up, the pitch, you know, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And, you know, what the pitch was and what, you know, the reality of what we, we, what we had time to do 
for the restaurant wars changed a little bit differently. I had to like be super specific um, because we only had like a day and, you know, there's only a certain amount of dishes you could create. But, you know, um, kind of a wood-fired Haitian-inspired concept. Um, it's also inspired by global BIPOC cuisines. And that's what we've been doing. Um, we're not doing a wood-fired concept right now because of uh, we just had so much build out for the Yurt Village the program that we're doing right now. Village, but I love it. Um, I love yeah. It. yeah. But in, uh, in its true essence, Khan is a wood-fired Haitian-inspired restaurant. Right now we're doing definitely Haitian cuisine and Haitian-inspired cuisine. Um, and some other BIPOC flavors. We have some African flavors on the menu right now. But currently, this is our second pop-up. We had a pop-up last summer. Um, we're ending our five-month pop-up right now. Um, we've been open since December. After this, we're going to take a break. Um, we'll probably do another summer pop-up. That will definitely involve a grill. Um, and after that, I'm kind of looking for brick and mortar to open up the actual real con sometime in 2022. Um, the restaurant has been pushed back for uh, about a year and a half at this point. And I'm going to push back another year just to get through the pandemic. Yeah, we, I was so excited to see that you were opening up Khan and the fact that Top Chef has given you a platform to get um, not just your story out, but um, Haitian cuisine, um, I feel like is... I don't want to say having a moment, but even on this last episode, you saw a couple dishes that were inspired by Haitian cuisine. It was like, all right, like that's Gregory. That's like a lot of it is just Gregory's uh, imprint on, um, you know, bringing that style of cooking into people's homes that maybe otherwise weren't, wasn't going to be there. So how important was it to you not just to open up a restaurant, but to do one uh, Haitian inspired uh, through through your background? Sure. You know, I think for me, you know, waiting so long to open up my own first restaurant, you know, I knew that it had to be a personal project. I feel oftentimes, you know, restaurants are either a concept or they're just really personal. Um, you can go either way. I think a lot of people are kind of leaning into their culture um, to, you know, just to be able to express themselves. You know, if I think about, you know, my, you know, 23 year culinary career, if this restaurant, which is my first restaurant, is to be a culmination of that. Um, when I thought about what I wanted to do, it just felt really important to me to kind of remember my earliest food memories and they all surround Haitian food, you know, and, and the things that my mother ate because she always had dinner on the table and, you know, visiting my grandmother in New Jersey, you know, on Sunday after church and, you know, like visiting my other aunts in Queens when we go visit them as well. Um, you know, spending summers and, you know, my parts of my childhood in Haiti and, and all those memories. So when I thought back to my earlier food memories, it, it 100% revolved around Haitian cuisine. And I knew that I wanted that to be, you know, at the core of Khan. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've studied abroad, you know, I've, I've worked in, in restaurants all over, you know, the world, you know, from Europe to Asia, um, the Caribbean. Um, so I wanted those influences to be important as well. And especially as we talk about, you know, you know, black and brown cultures all around the world and, you know, just kind of racism in this country and, you know, uplifting culture and voices, you know, I felt, you know, with my knowledge, I want to do my part to kind of. Hello, listener. Guess who's back? It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. 
You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. Butcher Box takes all of that out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at butcherbox.com dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Add the culinary story to that as well and be able to, you know, highlight, you know, specific ingredients and specific dishes from all around the world because behind every dish there truly is history you know how certain dishes make their way across the country you know oftentimes you know you know it was slaves oftentimes it was you know indentured servants you know if it was you know different cultures bridging together you know over centuries of you know living in a different country and you know if you trace back the history of so many dishes and so many ingredients there's a true history lesson in all of that um, and I think, you know, we often don't think about that. You know, when you think about how come ginger and, and soy sauce is sometimes in jerk sauce, it's because of Chinese immigrants that, you know, made it to Jamaica. Um, pieces of history like that, you know, I think that's all really important to the food stories. Yeah, no, it's my first exposure to Haitian cuisine was the year uh, Tom and I actually lived in Miami covering LeBron yeah. James's first year with the Heat. And yeah. I used to go up to this <laughs> little place called Naomi's Garden. Okay. Um, up in, in in little in little Haiti, and um, it was just this lovely space, and uh, I, and also it was sort of beautiful because it was like salted smoked herring, and mm-hmm. oh yeah, right, like yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a dish I kind of yeah. well, it's funny because like coming yeah. from Eastern Europe, it was like yeah, we always had these like pickled sour creamy herrings in, in like every Jewish event, but it was just, it was exposing there and like these beautiful legumes. In fact, that's what I want to ask you is I never let chefs get away on this show without giving me a tip. So like, this is what I would ask you if I want to kind of nail a Haitian legume, like just like with its okay. richness, what's the hack that I might not find online? Like, tell me. Okay. Are, yeah. you, are you putting a piece in yours? I don't know. Am I? Okay, so a piece, you're talking about legume, right? Like, yeah, like a stew, like, like that, that beautiful yeah. stew. Okay, so what I do, so you want to always have a piece. A piece is Haitian all-purpose seasoning. So it's like a blend mm-hmm. of like Allspice. onions and garlic and thyme and black pepper, or sometimes a little bit of clove, celery, habanero, salt, lime juice, and, and maybe some white vinegar. Um, it's EPIS, E-P-I-S. Okay. So that is, we make huge batches of that. And that is like the base of so many things. We marinate in it. I just ordered it off Amazon as it. you were talking about it. I mean, it's already done. <laughs> you can't know. I don't think you should buy it on Amazon. It's like Haitian it. mirepoix yeah. or something like kind of. It's like, it looks like pesto, okay. but it's like Caribbean flavors. It's just the, the texture of pesto. It's like a, like green seasoning. It's just like a really great, punchy, spicy, flavorful, all-purpose marinade. So when I make my legume, 
I always put a little bit of earpiece in it. And what I do, I always make sure, like, I start, I turn the heat up when all the vegetables have cooked. If you don't know what earpiece is, everyone listening, it's like eggplant and carrots and cabbage and onions and garlic all stewed down in the same pot. So what I do, when everything's super tender and, and the eggplant has, like, fallen apart and it kind of makes everything kind of gooey, I crank the heat up on the bottom of my pan and I let the bottom get brown. And then I lower the heat and then I scrape up all the brown bits and mix that into the rest of the egg. Oh. And I do that three or four times. And that way you develop a little color, you develop a little caramelization, and you develop a much, much deeper flavor. But always spike it with a little bit of earpiece. That's the secret. Right, but how do I not, how do I know when that brown is turning to burn? That's always what you want. And I always am like three okay. seconds too late. Like my complexion, not like the complexion of my my sweater. <laughs> exactly. It's like, wait, this I'm doing that thing, and then it's like, oh shit, I smell it's golden that. brown, golden brown. Right. So like, it's kind of like doing rue. Like you kind of just you you exactly. Okay. Yeah. You want to like push push the darkness a little bit and develop that flavor. All right. Thank you. This is wonderful. There you go. Hey, can you just talk about Nini, Wynn, and uh, Stephanie just for a little bit? They're our favorites. <laughs> can you just talk about them for a while? They're great. <laughs> <laughs> they're like those are my girls they're great like nini is like so fun like they're both hilarious in like different ways and nini is just like super sassy and super fun and like super sweet at the same time and stephanie is just like really self-deprecating but she's really really talented and you know i think last season really you know gave her the boost of confidence that she just always had deep inside of her and, uh, you know, she played a great game, you know. Um, and Nini's just a fantastic cook and just really such a bubbly, fantastic person. We were super sad when she left the house. Yeah. we. Um, I think, Kevin, you drafted her number three last year. Yeah, uh, I, I just had huge hopes for her last year. <laughs> I, also, I just love her food. Like, it's just one of those things yeah. where one of the cool yeah. things about being a fan of Top Chef and, like, I'm kind of an amateur home cook. I, I do some decent stuff. But, what like, and I've said this a million times on this show, like, with you guys, it's like watching LeBron James. Like, I, I just, I marvel, at, forget this, like the time constraints that the show presents to a chef. Like, the creativity, just the instinct of, oh, here is a refrigerator. You have 20 seconds to grab stuff. And then the creations, like, I just don't think people fully realize the genius that goes on. And I'm not saying that to flatter you. Like, cooking's hard. Um, and mm -hmm. it's just like, but sort of the fun is, is like, whose food do I am I am I drawn to and yeah Nini was just always someone who I just love those flavors and um like Southeast Asian cuisine and and but uh yeah I we need hopes. Bravo to do a, a Nini uh Gregory show like yes. like Nini and Gregory <laughs> need to have their own show doesn't have to have anything to do with cooking or food it just yeah. I want to watch you guys interact just go act so, it and talk about fashion and stuff exactly. yeah I mean I think I think you know I mean the thing about like my first season is like I walked I feel like I walked into Top Chef and like some people are just, I don't know, maybe they're very confident or maybe they're just like a little bit cocky and, you know, like, hey, I'm going to win. I'm, I'm, I'm in this to win. I've seen it happen. You know, I've literally like had people tell me like, hey, I'm, I'm going in, I'm going to win. And like they get eliminated like like fairly early, either earlier than they expected to. You know, my first season, I walk in, I was like, I have no idea what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never done this before. I've seen every episode, but like I really have no clue. Like, I know I, I have no clue how I stack up to these other chefs that are in this competition. Um, and it took a few challenges for me to be like, hey, I can win this thing. It literally took me probably to, like, probably, like, the middle to be like, oh, I can win this. You know, like, or I'm, I'm going to win this. 
Um, and for all stars, I knew what I was up against. And, you know, like when you hear names like, you know, Brian Voltaggio and, you know, some of these people, and I knew Melissa, you know, was, was coming in hot, uh, you know, like you, you're definitely intimidated somewhat because these are big names and, you know, these people have done Top Chef a couple of times as well. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's truly about like, you know, the balance of, you know, thinking you can win, being able to play smart game, you know, being extremely competitive and, you know, having the skill and, and like the mindset to keep you calm all the way to the end, you know, and not fall apart. You know, some people just don't think that they can, you know, push themselves through the whole thing. You know, I thought I could push myself through the whole thing and my body gave out, you know, and then you have someone like, you know, Brian Voltaggio, who like is like the most consistent, you know, like technical, perfect, you know, chef I've ever met in my entire life, you know, and then you have someone like Melissa, you know, who like did great her first season, but just like blew it completely out of the park her second season. Yeah. And, you know, to see that growth in a chef and like, you know, and, and she doesn't even work in a restaurant, you know, um, but to have that calm um, the, the sense of self to like, you know, to be able to like have a full understanding of, you know, all these ingredients and full understanding of Italian cuisine and to be able to pair that with a full understanding of her personal heritage, you know, that was extremely smart, you know? And so it, it takes, it takes a little something to actually win top chef and make it to the end. Yeah. I mean, and not everyone has it. What, what I always loved about your stuff was it, it, one of the other things about watching the show and watching contestants come back and like okay at this point i've watched them do 15 20 25 dishes is is mm -hmm. you always had this thing where and it was like it was predictable and it was going to be perfect like there will be a heat component there will mm -hmm. be a tart component <laughs> there will be a sweet like like you do like i'm gonna do butternut you know butternut squash plantain soup there's gonna be pickled fruit of course there'll be chilies <laughs> and there was always this like kind of balance but what was cool about it was after a while, he's like, this is a Gregory dish. Like, you could look at the dish when they do that beautiful, soft focus pan, you know, with the voiceover. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God, that's his food, right? Like, heat, tart, the right, like, like th th there's going to be a savory that is accentuated by these other three flavors. And it was just so signature. And it's kind of, again, the whole premise of our show is, like, we're, like, we talk about Top Chef the way, like, sports radio jock talk, jock shock, shock jocks talk about the game. And so it was kind of, it's fun to watch chefs when you kind of know the, the, the way, you know, like a, 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 like a Kyrie Irving crossover dribble, mm -hmm. like, okay, that's Gregory's play, that those components are there. Those qualities are there. Yeah. The balance is kind of just perfect. Like would not he, too much. Yeah. Would he have had that his, if he was on season three of Top Chef? Like, did you have a certain, did you have a certain confidence or knowledge about what you do well by season? Oh, no. I mean, I definitely think like my last post, I was an executive chef for like 10 years. So I, th I definitely, and we had to like, we had like a 20 to 25 dish menu uh, that was inspired by, you know, like a lot of different cultures. So flavors. So, you know, I think it definitely took me working there somewhere like that to be able to have so much in my repertoire. Um, and also, you know, have, I worked at a really, really busy restaurant and we had to have something that pleased everyone. And cause we saw every type of guest, you know? So, um, I definitely think there's a formula for making something delicious. That's like competition winning, especially when you're trying to stand out, you know, you don't want to necessarily hit someone over the head with like spice and heat and chili and all these things all, uh, all at the same time, you know, but you have to you know, to stand out in a group of like 15 dishes or even five dishes, 
you know, there has to be mouthfeel. There has to be texture. You know, it has to be interesting. It has to be cooked perfectly. Um, you know, you can talk about perfect technique, but if there isn't flavor, mm. you know, really at the end of the day, what I love about Top Chef and how the judging system works it, it, is it truly is about like the flavor of the dish. And like, it can't be too wacky. It can't be too weird. Um, but if it's delicious um, and everything is cooked really well, um, I think you have a pretty good chance, you know, of, of winning, you know, that round. And, uh, you know, some people are just better at it than others, you know. Portland you- is fantastic. I mean, it is. Uh, it's always punched above its weight in terms of restaurants. The sad thing is I actually haven't had a chance to be there in five years, but I, for a long time, when people would go for work, colleagues, uh, had this like long list of places and it included trucks that included like, you know, prefix fancy stuff that included just these wonderful little neighborhood places like Aviary and Davenport. And, you know, I don't even know if mm-hmm. any of these places are still there, um, but it's just like, it's such an amazing scene. I love the Viking soul food truck. Right. Like I love, <laughs> yeah. obviously I go get my Hannity's chicken rice the second, Nong's the second. I, I mean, yeah. literally yeah. I dropped my bags at the Monaco, <laughs> which is where I always stayed and like would walk yeah. the four that's blocks. Where, um, that's where we stayed. Yeah. No, it's like, that. that's my, that's, I actually did a story on how they service NBA teams um, once. Okay. But anyway, I just kind of want to get your impressions just because it's just a place I love to eat. Yeah. I mean, Portland has, a, you know, a fantastic food scene and, you know, it's been ravaged by the pandemic, unfortunately. And, you know, here, unlike other parts of the country, we are extremely cautious. So, you know, no one, you know, the, the number of people who are like storming the Capitol, like protesting lockdown, you know, our capital, our state capital, like was like not a lot, you know. Um, we are smart business owners and people are very cautious and you know, we're not in, you know, when the governor has allowed us to reopen indoor dining, you know, we're at 50% now, like a lot of people are not rushed to reopen dining. You know, people are ready to get vaccinated. So we are very smart and cautious. Um, and, you know, that sense of community is extremely important to us, but we've been hit pretty hard. But yeah, I mean, Portland for being like one of the widest towns in America has an extremely rich and diverse culinary scene. Um, and I think the culture that exists in the city um, is truly found in the culinary scene, you know, from West African restaurants, you know, you know Ethiopia, um, you know, Ghana, um, to like great Russian, to like fantastic Thai restaurants, to, you know, Japanese, you know, um, now I'm, I'm bringing some Haitian, but, you know, and there's actually a couple other Haitian chefs in town as well. There's a Haitian winemaker. So, you know, there's a very, very rich and diverse culinary scene here. Um, and it does expand into, you know, not just restaurants, but restaurants and food carts and makers. You know, I think another great part of Portland, Oregon in our state is just, you know, how small makers can thrive. Um, and whether you're selling, you know, like African style hibiscus juice or, you know, if you're selling a piece or, you know, Haitian pickles at the, the farmer's market, you know, there's a market and people are supportive and you can kind of do so many things with food here. Um, and you can really shop a global pantry here um, based on, you know, people doing fantastic things. Hey, um, Chef, I was wondering what you think about the Blazers and if you've ever served Damian Lillard or any, um, any, oh, oh yeah, the, the Portland Trail Blazers, like he just had to throw the question at you. If you, if you've been to yeah. the games or what's your, what's your, what's your take on of Damian course. Lillard? I mean, the Blazers were regulars at my, my last restaurant. Nice. Like Dame 
CJ. Um, they were they 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 all came in after every home game. Um, we actually had a Blazers menu just for them, no. just for the entire restaurant, actually, because they would come in and they would want specific things after that portion of the menu closed. Um, so we just like literally just picked all the food that they had always ordered <laughs> and, and turned the late night menu into a Blazers menu just on game nights so they could easily order whatever they wanted. Um, but yeah, but I think it was like more of a safe space for them. And, you know, some fans would kind of bother them a little bit, but we try to block off the fans, but they just came to literally just like eat and get a couple of drinks um, after all home games. Um, so yeah, so I've served them quite a bit. <laughs> I've done some videos with CJ because he's a pretty big foodie. Uh, he's a big um, wine yeah, guy too. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a big wine guy. We do a, a, a we did a duck special at my old restaurant, and he had a whole duck by himself <laughs> <laughs> at like eleven o'clock at night. It was extremely impressive. <laughs> yeah, but you have your next story idea. Uh, no, it's funny. I'm actually <laughs> in all seriousness. I'm working on a CJ feature right now, so I'm, I'm supposed to speak okay, to him in okay. the next week and a half. Yeah, um, yeah, he's great. I actually have some fun. I I, I love just to ask sort of kind of regular people questions um we call it like the kind of quick fire lightning round um it's fun stuff so like what's your favorite lowbrow food and i'm talking about processed it doesn't matter stuff that you're a little bit embarrassed to tell (laughs) your 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 fellow culinary community that that you're really into um honestly i'm like a total health freak (laughs) are you still vegan no i'm I'm gluten-free and dairy-free and i don't really eat like a lot of meat but uh I don't know. I mean, my like little. I honestly don't eat anything processed. I gotta be really honest. I just yeah. That's part of the book. But, um, Everyone's table. It's like yeah, I, you, yeah. you listed like it's gluten free, uh, grain free, and all this stuff. I'm like, yeah. is there food left? But I yeah. There's tons of food left. That's why you gotta buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pamphlet. Like, <laughs> um, there's there's lots of different types of diets out there. No one's going hungry. Um, but. Honestly, like, I probably live off, like, nut butter and jelly sandwiches. Like, it's, like, mm. my job. Like, I literally, like, like will come home from making, like, seven-course tasting menus for people and, like, literally stand in my kitchen, like, at midnight and just, like, eat, like, nut butter and jelly, either on, like, bread or, like, out of the jar. <laughs> um, what is your one ingredient, like like it was last night in the in that first episode? Like, what would your – you can't live without in the kitchen? Uh I would say chilies. Yeah. It's like it's really hard for me to make something without mm. chilies. Oh. It just seems like it's like yeah, yeah. It's like it's, it's, it's it totally makes sense given given your your palate. Yeah. Um, best meal you've ever eaten. The best meal I've ever eaten. Oh man, I'm my really good friends have a restaurant um, named Tonari that's here, and it's probably the best meal I ate during the pandemic. It's the first time I ate inside a restaurant, but we were the only ones in the entire restaurant. Um, my friend Ryan Roadhouse and Elena Roadhouse, and he's like a Japanese cuisine chef, and he's hands down the best Japanese cuisine chef in Portland, if not the state. Um, so yeah, that was probably pretty up there for recent meals. Um, but I mean, I think when I went to eat at Nam when David Thompson was a chef in Thailand for the first time, I think that was extremely revelatory. Um, but I mean, I'm going to have to say, you know, any meal spent with my parents and my mom just like make some straight up Haitian food, like chicken style, you know, Haitian style chicken, chicken and Creole sauce, rice and beans, some legume, you know, like having 
the opportunity to to share like a meal like that with my family when we're all spread apart throughout the country. Um, I think that's definitely my number one meal. And, and last one, if you were president, who would be the White House chef? <laughs> like, you know, you get like this is how it works, right? You get to pick anybody you want, and they are the White House chef for four years. This is actually how it it, it works in real life. <laughs> oh man. Only one person. Really? And like, by the way, they got to be able to do state dinners. They got to be able to do your okay. 11 p.m. like late night sort of comfort food. I mean, this is the person who will run the yeah. White House kitchen. Okay, I would have to say Maylin. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yes. Call. Um, did you get <laughs> to Nightingale? Like, uh, did you get to Nightingale? He's one of my best friends, and we actually have a very big space where our colony styles meet, and. She's super chill, and she's, again, like one of the most detailed-focused chefs I've ever met. And she has a truly great grasp of flavor, and she's just fun to be with. Gregory, um, did you get to her place in Los Angeles? Nightshade? Yes, yes. I flew there to surprise her, and she didn't look happy to see me. <laughs> <laughs> I just called it Nightingale in the previous second. I, like, but it's, it's Nightshade, and it's wonderful. Chef, uh we got to let you go, but thank you so much for joining us. It's been a oh, huge man. pleasure. Yeah, of course. My pleasure. It was so much fun. We can't wait to eat at, at Con when it opens, and best of luck with the book, and we can't wait to see more of your face on Top Chef. Yeah, thank you. Enjoy the season. Thanks for talking. Oh, man, that was so great with uh, Chef Gregory. I'm I'm super pumped for this season. We're going to see lots more of the f- alumni, Top Chef alumni here, and they gave us a little like sneak preview of the season, lots of tears, lots of laughter. It seems like it's going to be an awesome Top Chef season. Yes, and my limb would be the White House chef, which is just like such a good call, Tom. Like, (laughs) what a great call. Um, And I I don't know if you had a power rankings for White House chef, Kevin, but I'm guessing she is very high on that list. Oh, yeah, it is is the right call. Uh, Looking forward to the season, Tom. We have – you know what? I'm 0-3. I've never beaten you in, in in a fantasy season, but but I think this is my year. I think this is my year, Tom. I, I think my trade was masterful, and uh, I think I'm going to reap all the earthly benefits of it. You might, but uh, just watch out. I might offer you some trades later this season and try to win back some of my players. So uh, watch out for that. We If we do another trade this season, um, just know that I'm going to be asking for a lot because I'm not feeling as good as you are about my my draft this year. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I won last year by over 100 points, I believe. So you're due, Kevin. I am due. For Tom Habistro, this is Kevin Arnovitz, and this is Pack Your Knives.